Today, we present to you an episode in two parts. This is part two. You know, I don't feel like the baby boomers improved on their parents. And I know that's... You, a, you hate the baby boomers, though. I'm... You know, obviously, some of my greatest influences are baby boomers and some of the people I respect most in the world. But as a generation, mm -hmm. I feel like they did a lot of damage yeah. um, because of their – because of a profound self-involvement. And that self-involvement uh, reverberates in our own time. Um in allowing for that degree of self-regard, in allowing for it to be like socially acceptable, culturally acceptable, they set in motion our current time where the, the idea of us as a collective project versus the idea of us as individual agents whose feelings matter, you know, that we're, we are we're rent asunder now by the fact that we've just freed ourselves from any sense of, of pulling together. Like my yeah. dad would have, yeah. would have said, I've been thinking about media a lot and the consumption of media a lot. And I am increasingly, uh, developing a, a sort of a, a feeling that I'm against it for the most part because it is not just the, not just bad media, but like our, our identities are so, so formed around what we're consuming. And this isn't new. Uh, we've been talking about this for a long time, but, but the, some kind of ship has sailed now where you separate the virtuous from the, from the degraded by the quality of the media they consume rather than there being even really the option of being sort of a smart, reflective, uh, engaged member of society who isn't trying to formulate those thoughts in the context of the walking dead, you know, who isn't like our conversation about weird, tough, stuff now is is like what do you think about black mirror and we flatter ourselves that we are the smart ones because we're watching this difficult programming right but that's still interacting with the world through someone else's imagination and using someone else's imaginative powers to shape our own um ambitions for not just our, not just what we do in our physical lives, but for our, for our inner lives. And I don't think it's a very good, I don't think it spells out a very good future. I don't think we recognize that. I don't, you know, I'm, I, I know people push back at me when I'm, when I say that I don't think conspiracies have or at least conspiracies don't have much appeal to me right? because it, I don't think that's ultimately the way the world is ordered. And so when I talk about the pernicious effect of media, I don't mean that media is a monolithic uh, 
agency with goals. I think everybody I know in media is just trying to get their project picked up and just trying to do, do good enough that they get their thing made and they don't have, there's not some Zionist, uh, theory behind it. And the cap, the capitalism is all riven through it, but it's not like there's no Rothschild puppet master to it. Right. But it's a, but like entertainment is an Ouroboros. It's, it just keeps being the honeymooners over and over. It's like, what if we rebooted the honeymooners, but they were from Mars? (laughs) What if we rebooted the honeymooners, but it was, you know, it was uh, a cartoon called the Flintstones. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, like it's always the honeymooners. Right. And, or, you know, or the Simpsons, like, the best TV and the worst TV are not separated by as much of a gulf as the best TV and no TV. And I really feel strongly that we owe it to ourselves to, to have to, I guess now we need to formalize a kind of, uh, a separation from it because I realized it, in trying to figure out what I was going to do with this, with my phone and the way that I interact with my phone, which I despise now. I realized that, the, that, that the, the premise that if we democratized access to information, uh, that it would be a net good was like all utopian premises. It was, it's the, it's the classic philosopher King argument. It's, it, it's been animating Democrats for 2000 years. And by Democrats, I mean people that believe in, in uh, participatory democracy. We're going to make access to information and to one another, like as boundaryless as we can and in so doing we're going to tap into the, our better natures and we're going to use this information to create to finally bring this utopia forth on earth but it in democratizing it we have or in 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 making it so accessible and co- to cost so little really We've devalued it to the point that what used to be difficult to acquire, what used to take effort, what what used to take um, interest and engagement now takes nothing and so is worth nothing. And And I do feel like access to Wikipedia is... is a gift, but I don't, I don't believe it should be, I don't believe it's healthy for our minds to, to think of it as, um, as a resource that's like available to us at an instant. I don't think we're meant to connect with each other at an instant. 
and I and I just I want to throw that apparatus away because I think it's the it's gone past our ability to to use it properly. Just like just like drones are a technology that that uh, surpassed our ethical ability to uh, to use them as a tool. Um, we're able now to go in through somebody's window and spy on them or kill them or do whatever we want with these little robots. Mm -hmm. But we don't have an ethical framework or a, a very solid foundation for whether or not that's okay. Uh, and the, and we're not doing that work right now. We're letting fate accompli build so many of our future institutions right now. So it's like, well, you know, music should be free, I guess, because we built the technology for people to steal music before we figured out whether or not that was what we really wanted. And so I guess fate accompli, you know, no, no band in 2000 was no band that was making records in 2000 thought that those records should be free. That was not the intent of the creator. Definitely not. But it became what the, it became the default. Music is supposed to be a thing that you can just have at, a, at, at, um, anytime you want, you should be able to just go and say like, I want to hear this music and there it is. It should cost you nothing or it should cost you a pittance. And whether or not the music makers wanted that or whether they get paid, it's not your problem. It'll work itself out. Fait accompli. And the movie people saw that and were like, fuck, we don't want that. And so they threw a bunch of roadblocks in the technology as it was being built. So we don't think that about movies. If you want to watch The Godfather, you don't think Godfather should be free. I mean, if you're good at computers, you can go find it. But there are an awful lot of people that that say like, oh, well, you rent it for $14 right. in some cases. And people are like, that seems reasonable. Although I still want my record albums to be free because Fate complete. And we're, we're like that now with, with drone warfare. It's like, well, there's this little village up in the Afghan Kush and there's a guy in there that we think we don't like and we can see him from outer space and we can drop a bomb on him. So whether or not that is, I mean, is it in the strategic interest of the United States? That's arguable. But is it right to do? Does it, is it healthy to do? Is it healthy for, obviously it's not healthy for him. He gets blown to smithereens, but is it healthy for us? And if there are people doing the, the work, the ethical work who are having any effect on the policy. Uh, I don't think they are. I mean, we, we went through the whole Bush administration trying to figure out like, is it okay in certain circumstances for the United States government to hold a guy's head underwater until he thinks he's about to die and then lock him in a little cage and poke him with hot sticks if we feel like he might have some information we want and it's like, well, no, that's not okay under any circumstances. And the argument from our own government was, well, yeah, but what if he has some information? 
It's like, yeah, I know. What if he has some information? That's we. There are rules that we put in place about this stuff. Yeah, I know. But what if we had some lawyers just tell us that those rules weren't real? It's like, okay, well, you know, sure, I guess so. And we abandoned the whole process through the Obama administration of really reflecting on what had happened there. And Obama just sort of in a lot of cases was like, yeah, okay, well, fait accompli. And that's a really bad way of laying down a moral framework for the quote unquote civilization you are either trying to continue to build or espousing. And on our side of things, the side that's creating entertainment or infotainment, we have the same, we're, we're, we're in the same shitty place where a lot of it, a lot of what we're doing, a lot of what we're building, we're not doing a good job of reflecting on whether or not it's an, whether or not it is a, um, whether or not what we're building is good rather than whether or not what we're building will either make money or will work or people will consume it. And just because people will consume it doesn't mean it's good. Uh, Just because people will consume it and like it and talk about it doesn't mean it's good. Either good for us or, you know, like good to us. And it used to be that we would ask those questions and it used to be, and I, and I'm not somebody that's like, Oh, the world was better in the fifties. Obviously I'm not, but there were systems in place at a time in our recent past where people were asking questions like that seriously and were taken seriously. You know, at the end of world war two, there were plenty of people that said, we should crush the Germans and the Japanese down until they are, until we basically have salted their earth for a thousand years. Mm. We should punish them and destroy them utterly. And there were people who had authority who said, we're going to do a different thing. We're going to rebuild those countries. We're going to, not saddle them with generations of debt, but instead we're going to invest in those countries and we're going to not shame those people. Even in the case of, I mean, you know, we're going to hold them accountable for atrocities as best we can, but our, our fury at them is not going to mean that we hold their feet over the fire and we're not going to take the emperor and make him bow in the streets, but we're going to let the emperor remain on the throne and we're going to try the German high command, but we're not going to go and make every single member of the Nazi party kneel in the public square. Um, we're going to get back on uh, back, back in the game and Germany and Japan became model de- well, more or less model democracies and economic powerhouses. And we, even 20 years after the war, you could see like 20 years after world war one, we had world war two because at the time we salted the earth or, you know, like we punished rather than promoted. Right. And now 
the idea that you could make a convincing case in the public square that we forgive our enemies or that we look beyond sort of a short-sighted revenge-based approach to international relations and take the long view and take the communitarian view. I mean, it, it makes you laugh to imagine that any voice like that would have any effect beyond the pages of the New Yorker that anyone even on the left in power would say that's, you know, in principle, that's what we're going to do. I mean, even the foreign policy of the Obama administration involved an awful lot of dropping bombs into people's laps with like sort of just extrajudicially in countries we weren't at war with because of this feeling of like, well, that decision seems like it got made by somebody back a ways back. I don't remember who exactly signed off on it, but it's real hard to like rein that in now that we can do it. And I, and I, I, I do think that our, um, entertainment industrial complex is complicit in this in this modern world and the fact that we turn always 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 to our gadgets and to the imaginations of other people to give us this solace and this connectedness this this myth or this uh, illusion of connectedness you know we're voluntarily submitting to this right and it's and it's so, it has such a strong pull on us that it's really hard. Does it even seem voluntary, though? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Well, it doesn't because because there are people listening to this who are saying who are feeling that I am anti-technology or that I'm trying to deprive them of the thing that they like the most, or that you know I'm taking their ice cream cone away, or or worse, taking their culture from them. We would like to thank our sponsor today. It is Blue Apron, the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Their mission, to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. And they achieve this by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. They've got three meal plans for you. The two-person meal plan, the family meal plan, and now the wine plan. Six bottles of wine from renowned winemakers delivered monthly but regardless of which one you pick, you get tons of new recipes to choose from each week. You can get two or three recipes any week. If you're doing the family meal plan, you can get up to four recipes per week. And you've heard of this whole 30 thing that everyone's talking about. Well, for eight weeks, ending on February 26, Blue Apron is teaming with Whole30 to give you delicious recipes that fit within the Whole30 approved style of eating. They've got stuff like Mexican spiced barramundi. I don't even know what that is. Tagarashi chicken, lettuce cups with avocado, kale, and sweet potato salad. I mean, if you're doing this whole 30 thing, this is the way to do it. Try it out. And uh, you know what? The thing I like most about Blue Apron is the flexibility. 12 new recipes every week, and you can pick two, three, or four based on what fits with your schedule. You're getting high quality, non GMO ingredients. 
meat that has no added hormones. You know what I'm talking about. The right stuff. This is the way you want to eat. This is the way you should be eating. You know it. You know you feel bad after you go to the fast food place. You're like, why did I do that? Why did I do that to myself? Well, Blue Apron is treating Roadwork listeners to their first three meals. A $30 value with your first order if you visit blueapron.com slash roadwork. Blueapron.com slash roadwork. Check out this week's menu and get 30 bucks off with free shipping. Did I mention free shipping? That's right. And like, what do they have this week? Again, this whole 30 stuff that they have. Lemon, they've got a, a seared steaks and warm lemon salsa verde with roasted bro- broccoli and sweet potato. They've got spicy pork and Korean rice cakes with baby bok choy. And f- vegetable fried rice. All this stuff, Whole30 approved too. So go check it out. Again, the URL, blueapron.com slash roadwork. And, and to make the, like, go out and smell the fresh air argument is just so boring and it's so, um, it's so reductive. And, you know, the, this argument that Jonathan Colton and I had years ago where he was like, there, there aren't going to be books. So don't make this case to me that like some musty old books are better than an iPad because the iPad has all the books that ever were on it. So I'm not going to sit around and worry about it. I'm just going to get the latest iPad and I'm going to fill it with the latest books. And it was, you know, a very like strong pro technology argument that was, that had strong culture ideas attached to it. But, you know, I was arguing like, no, the every book on the, in the world on the iPad is not the same as a small shelf of books. And part of it is that a small shelf of books is is limited and constrained and it requires that you try and get as much out of them as you can. Whereas, you know, uh, unlimitedness is not actually unlimitedness. You do not have uh, everything. You just have what you actually engage with. And you have an iPad full of all the books in the universe, but what you're actually engaged with is stranger things. Right. right. And what you're actually thinking about is stranger things and what people are talking and what people are saying about stranger things on Buzzfeed. And because you can link to articles, it doesn't mean you've read them. And it doesn't mean you've read them and thought about them and talked to other people who have read them. And, you know, I think I watched the new Star Wars movie. Yeah, I saw your your, uh, post about that. And I went into it really scared because I'd heard so much static. Mm. And I avoided even listening to it. But but there was all this static on the fringe of like, oh, the new Star Wars movie is a betrayal of the blah, blah, blah. I'm, 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 I'm just... Back and back and back and back and back. And then the usual suspects arguing that the people that didn't like the Star Wars movie were racists or the people that didn't like the Star Wars movie were sexists. Right, because there's uh, a female protagonist. And any if you say anything bad about Star Wars, you're, you're, that's your secret uh, right. dislike about it. You can't, you can't just say, oh, I didn't, I didn't like the uh, you know, kangaroo things they ran around on. No, no, no. It's, it's, that's that's what you're saying you didn't like about it, but here's what you really didn't like about it. Yeah, what you really didn't like it is that you're sexist, right? Right. And so watching that conversation happen on the periphery of my, of what I am trying to have be the, a very limited interaction with the 
internet. I was like, I don't want to see this movie. I don't want to, I just don't want to have all of this. Like, I don't want to just get this fucking slime on me. Yeah. But somebody, a friend of mine was like, ah, it's still playing at the Cinerama. And if we go at 11 PM, there's not going to be anybody there. I was like, that sounds fine. All right, fine. I'll go see it. Because obviously, like I saw fucking Star Wars in 1977 at the goddamn United Artists Theater. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I waited in line for fucking four hours to do it. Like I'm not immune to John Williams's score, right? It still brings a tear to my eye, even if the scroll doesn't make any sense to me. Anyway, so I watched the movie and I'm like, this is a fucking great movie. Who could be mad at this movie? How could you? I mean – to get to a point in your life where you're mad about it, I just feel like, and I, again, this isn't new. There are plenty of people in the world who are like, get a hobby or get, or rather don't get a hobby. Cause it sounds like you have plenty of hobbies, like get a fucking reality because this is just a fun movie. And if you have problems, I mean, I had problems with the script. I was like, boy, I wish they'd given me that script to go over once or twice. Yeah, me too. Uh, and there are too many characters in it now because we just got, there's just so many characters. I really felt like some of the people in that movie should have just died. There were lots of opportunities for people to die. And if those people had died in those moments, it would have been a better movie because they could have killed off like, well, let's say four or five main characters and, and the star Wars, um, universe would be better for it. But what a fucking fun movie. And all of the jokes were pretty good. I mean, the worst, well, the thing I was terrified about was like, oh, it's full of jokes and it's for kids. But Star Wars was full of jokes. I mean, there were so many. I mean, C-3PO is a walking, like, That's a Laurel and Hardy with C-3PO yeah. and R2-D2. Yeah. I, I, I knew that even as a, whatever, five, five six-year-old, whatever it was. Yeah, it's all honeymooners. And, and when Luke goes down to the weird sea cow and gets some green milk, it's just like, oh, that's fucking great. Are you kidding me? I'm like, it's awful, but it's great. And the little, the little, like, uh, the little cartoon puffin birds. Yeah. That, por- porgs. That are, that, uh, that Chewbacca, like, cooked and they looked really good to eat, but he couldn't eat them because they have such big eyes and they were so sad. I was just lapping it up. And it did very much feel like this is a movie that should come on and people should watch it and they should like it because it's a fun movie. They should not be weighing it against this universe that is, that they feel is important. But if they want to, that's fine. But like, why is this a thing that I already, it's like that, that scene in fight club where, um, Brad Pitt is like, why do you know what a duvet is? And you go, oh, fuck. I mean, right. Why do I? And I, I'm not even sure if duvet was the word that he used. But why do I know that there are people that have a problem with this? Like, why is that good for me? It's not It's not the, the movie or the conversation. I mean, to have that conversation with the person I went to see it with, which was like, how'd you like that? I liked it. I liked it, too. Like, that's what matters. But before I even went into this movie, I knew that there were thousands of people who were butthurt about it and thousands more people who were butthurt about those people's butthurt about it. And I, and none of that information is good for me. It's not good. 
it's not good for anybody. Unless it's your, unless you, I mean, it's what that is, is news group shit and it should be on news groups and it should be confined to news groups. Yeah. Well, everything is a news group now though. The whole internet is a news group. Everything is a news group. It's a fucking giant news group of like whatever people, it's fucking live journal everywhere. And I want it. I want there to be a movement, you know, I want there to be an actual movement and not just, not just a movement where people are faving one another's tweets about it. I don't want the movement to start on Twitter because it's immediately, it immediately is gross. It sucks. I want there to be like a movement of people. It's not back to the landers. It's not, it's just like, I I'm almost inspired to go to the post office and buy stamps and start mailing letters. I got a letter from John Hodgman the other day, a fucking letter in the mail. And I, I was, I was so glad. Yeah. I was going to say, you probably loved it. Didn't you? I would like that. And I have no idea what it, what inspired him. He's sitting at his little writing desk with his, with his feather quill pen. And he's like, I'm going to write a letter to my friend. And it's like in, it's like in purple ink. I don't know what he's doing. He was, it was just like some, it was just some note. Right. And I, I feel like that impulse, he might not even be thinking through what he's doing. He, he might, it might not have been intentional, right? He might not have said, I'm going to write letters. He might've just been trying something. And I feel like I'm trying those things too. And, and like, not just, putting down my phone, but actually trying to do, trying to buy books or at Christmas time, I tried to make little clay handprints of my daughter's hand for her relatives. And I went on the internet to try and figure out what the best way to make the dough was or the clay. Right. And I read five different websites like, Gwyneth Paltrow on Goop says mm-hmm. you need to stick the clay up your ass for an hour. <laughs> right. That's where and it all this, goes on that. <laughs> and this woman is like, oh, no, don't use salt. You've got to use cornstarch and the milk of a sea cow. And I tried three or four different things. And I would put my, you know, I'd have my daughter like put her hand in and I, and I did one. And then they cracked. And it was ruined. And so I made up another batch of a different flame flavor and I put it down and we put our hands in it, but our hands stuck to the clay and we pulled them off and it was like, ugh. and at this point, you know, we've tried it two times and already my daughter is very impatient with me. Can we be done with this? <laughs> yeah. Like, no, 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 we're going to, I got, I got this. You go play. I'm going to like work up another batch. So I made up another batch of stuff. And now the kitchen is a complete disaster and there's fucking shit all over the place. I make a third group. We lay it out. She sticks her hand in it. She pulls it off. And what, what happened was we did not get any fingerprints or palm lines. As she pulled it off, the, the clay, there was too much moisture or something. And we got that kind of like sucking little, little peaks, like a, like a, uh, what is the, what's, what happens when you whip egg whites and it's a, oh yeah, no, and, uh, something with a C, right? Yeah. You whip the egg whites and they become the little poof thing. Yeah. The, the little, a uh, meringue, a meringue, meringue. All right. 
So no, she no, her- no in that. <laughs> there we go. Meringue. We got there. Uh, she pulled her hand up and there were little teeny little meringues uh. all in the clay. And I was like, that's not it either. And she was like, this sucks. You suck. And I'm like, yes, I do. And we are going to figure this out because this is what fathers do to their daughters. They make them do this 15 times until we get it right. And she was like, if, the, if mommy was doing this, we would have been done a long time ago. And I was like, yes, I know. I know, believe me, this is going to be the thing when you're 14, you're like, I hate my father. He made me me do 15 handprints before we got that one. And, you know, and the internet was leading me astray the whole time. And I feel like this was something that if I'd done it 20 years ago, I would have had to have gone to a teacher and said, how do we do this? But the thing is, 20 years ago, the teachers would have done it. We already would have had those handprints because it would have been done in the schools. Uh, and they don't do it anymore for some reason. They, maybe they do it at other people's school districts. But at mine, uh, at the end of her kindergarten, we got a piece of paper where she had stuck her hand in some paint and put the paint on a piece of construction paper. And that was the childhood handprint that they sent home. I was like, that's not what we're looking for. The clay handprint that is a, an American tradition. So, I still have not successfully made a clay handprint. We've tried it several times. And uh, at one point she came to me and was like, where's the clay handprint that we made? And I'm like, do you remember? We didn't actually succeed. <laughs> and she was like, ugh. Like it was my fault. Right. It's another, it another way we as parents have let our kids down. It is my fault. But I want that. I want that clay handprint. I don't want a scan of her handprint. I don't want a I don't want some paint on a paper. Mm-hmm. I want that clay. And I want it. I want it about. A, I want that clay handprint of a lot of things, not of everything. Because there just isn't room on the wall. But I want like. I want that handprint and I think I'm willing to sacrifice an awful lot of entertainment in order to get it. 